healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. How's everybody doing tonight? You're pumped to be here? Excited? All right, prove it. No. <laughs> hey, I am really, really, you can take me down a little bit on the volume if you would. Hey, I want to get us started tonight, and I'm really, really excited for what the Lord's laid on my heart. I've been living with this message for a while, and I hope what God has laid on my heart will be meaningful to you and to all of us tonight. And to get us started, I'm going to start out on a subject that's going to help us get in touch with our message tonight. If you can tell, we're going towards communion tonight, so I hope that you're preparing and excited about that grace meal that we're going to take part of later. But I want you to think, I want you to talk about something with, uh, with each other. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, how do you feel about your student debt? Just talk to each other a minute about that. It'll help us get in touch. from you guys. All right, so how do you feel about your student debt? You feel good about it? Oh, yeah. Any other word? You don't worry about it. Pay it later. I got at least four years to worry about it if you're a new student. All right, how about the seniors? How are you guys feeling about your debt? <laughs> All right, you can always be a super senior and not have to pay it for another year. All right, now, now let me ask you this question. This will help us get in touch with tonight. So let me ask you this. If whoever you are going to owe your student loans to, imagine it's a bank. If that bank were to, say, sell the right to collect that loan to somebody else, and that you had to pay that somebody else your loan, but they also had the ability to upcharge you whatever they wanted, on top of the loan and the interest that you would owe? How would you feel about that person? Would you love them? Would you be slightly angry at them? Would you be mad at them? Well, I want you guys to get in touch with this tonight as we hear our scripture, as we've just heard our scripture, because in Jesus' day, there was a group of people called tax collectors, and they were despised by the Jewish people. Because what the tax collectors did was that the Roman who occupied the Jewish territory or Israel at that time, they sold off the right to tax the Israelites to somebody who then would collect the taxes. And they would hire other people to collect the taxes. And what those people would do is since they prepaid the taxes, they had the right 
could charge you interest and whatever else they could get you to pay to pay the taxes. And they were hated by the Jewish people. Not only because they were charging them interest, which wasn't okay according to the law, but because they were Jewish people who were basically extorting their own people to pay the occupying Roman uh, armies and the Roman government. So these people were not well-liked at all. And in our story today, we're going to see an amazing encounter with Jesus, with a guy named Matthew. We hear it, hear it again as I read it. Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man, man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Matthew is a tax collector. Not well liked by anybody. You can imagine if you were Matthew, what he got from people all day long when he was sitting in the tax collector's booth. You think he got like, hey, I'm so glad to pay this tax. Here you go, Matthew. I'm going on my leave. He's probably like, mm, 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 mm. here you go. Here's your tax. You, mm, mm, mm. Here you go. You're ripping me off. I'm really angry about it. If you can relate to that, I want you to think about what Matthew felt like. He's probably used to people being angry at him. Used to hearing a lot of probably harsh language coming his way. And then this amazing thing happened. Jesus walked by and looked at Matthew and sees something in him and says, follow me. This was different probably than anything Matthew had ever heard before. A lot different. And the amazing thing is, is that he jumped right up and left being a tax collector and went on and followed Jesus. You see, here's the really cool thing about the first part of the story. Is that Jesus is turning everything on its head. Remember last week, Ben was teaching us about how the religious educational system worked and people were educated and over time only the best of the best were left. And people would go back to be godly fishermen or godly whatever, and that was okay. And that only the best of the best were the ones who ended up being followers of Jesus. I mean, being the rabbis or the teachers. You can imagine how how Matthew felt about his life. Because he's not the kind of person that his parents would come up to and say, I am so proud of you that you are a tax collector. And for Matthew, what he saw when Jesus looked at him and caught his eye was something that was incredibly freeing and incredibly life-giving. And he was drawn to it immediately. You see, for Matthew, for him to leave being a tax collector, tax collectors made a lot of money. They were rich. But for him to leave that and follow Jesus, he'd never be going back to be a tax collector. But he made the decision right away to say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. I want to check him out. And here's the really, really cool thing. 
Matthew got up and followed Jesus. And Matthew was so willing to go and so drawn to Jesus that a really cool thing happened. He followed Jesus. And it was so different than anything else that he'd experienced. In Jesus' day, there was a lot of Pharisees who were very righteous religious people. And I'll stop there for a moment. But the kind of message you got if you were not a very, very devout Jew was, you better change, and then you can join in and follow God and join us. But what Matthew heard from Jesus was something different. It was, come, follow me, join us, join in with my band. And over time, as you learn, as you discover, as you follow me and do life with me, you're going to change. And what I want us to think about tonight is to maybe strip away whatever things you think about with Christianity. Some of you here tonight have been followers for a long time. Some of you tonight have, maybe it's your first time around. And this semester has been the first time you've ever been part of a community like this. And you just are sort of starting to get drawn in. And you've got lots of questions. And you see the amazing thing that happens? Jesus does not say to Matthew, hey, Matthew, fix it all now and then come follow me. He just says, Matthew, come follow me. And Jesus sees something in Matthew before it even existed. The potential, the possibility, and he calls it out of him. I had the chance a few years ago to be part of building a golf course. And you guys know I'm very passionate about golf. If you don't, I'm very passionate about golf. And here's the cool thing. I was with the designer a number of years ago, and we were walking around, and we were walking through the forest of this property, and the designer would be like, well, hey, the tee's going to be here, and it's going to go across that wetland, and then it's going to go up to the river, and that's where the green's going to be, and there's going to be traps here. And I'm like, there's just forest here, bud, and wetland. There is nothing. But here's the cool thing. The designer could see the hole before it existed. That's what Jesus did in Matthew. He could see what was in Matthew before it ever existed. And what I want to remind each of us tonight, no matter who you are, is that Jesus sees the potential in you even before it may exist. And I want to say this to all of us. There is no sin. There is no habit. There is no behavior. There is no addiction. There is no illness, no problem that puts you outside of the invitation to start following Jesus. And you'll tell me, but Chris, you don't know me. You don't know what my thing is. But I want you to know that Jesus' call, Jesus' invitation is not for everyone but you, but it's including you. Hear to me. Hear that good news. The other thing I want you to hear tonight 
as we go on. Is this really cool? Just jump really quick. It says, so Matthew just starts following Jesus, and then the next sentence says this, while Jesus was having di- dinner at Matthew's house. Is that a pretty radical statement? Yes. If you are despised, if you are not liked by the Jewish people, a Jewish, very well-respected, sort of controversial rabbi in Jesus it, it comes to your house, that's a big deal. And guess who's there? If you're a tax collector and you're despised, who do you hang out with? Other despised people. Right? So who's there? And this gives you an indication of how they felt about tax collectors is that sinners didn't even want to be connected to tax collectors. It's like tax collectors and sinners. Like they're all sinners, but the sinners are like, we don't want to be associated with those tax collectors. So we're going to have our own separate thing. But Jesus goes and ate with them. And I want you to hear this because it's challenging to me as a follower of Jesus who wants to follow in his example is that it seems like all kinds of people, people who are rough, people who don't have it together, people whose sin is right out there, they can't hide it like a lot of us are good at doing. It's right out there. A lot of those kind of people, they're very comfortable around Jesus. He didn't excuse their sin. He didn't say, hey, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. He just had the ability to be comfortable around people. And people were comfortable around him. Even though in our passage, Jesus later on says, hey, these people are sick. And if you were in the room when you heard Jesus say, hey, I'm with the sick people, you'd be like, what? Did he just call us sick? They weren't offended by it. They're like, yeah, we are sick. You know, (laughs) Jesus had the amazing ability to love and to be present and to invest and to see the potential in people before he ever exists. He had the ability to see through all the junk that sometimes we put out on the outside and see that beautiful thing that we are created in the image of. But here's the danger for those of us who are passionate. And we've been talking about being passionate in following Jesus, right? So the Pharisees, and if you are familiar with the Pharisees, you might have this impression that they were very self-righteous and very judgmental. And that's true. That's the picture that we get from the scriptures. But I also want to let you know something is that if you were to ask somebody in Jesus' day, where are the Pharisees? They'd be like, whoa, the Pharisees are the best of the best. They're like the Navy SEALs of the religious people in our day. In Jesus' day, they started out as the most zealous, knowledgeable, sacrificial people. Nobody knew more. Nobody studied harder. They became widely acknowledged by everybody as the best of the best. And when they see Jesus at the home of Matthew and all these notorious sinners and tax collectors, it blows their mind. Maybe they're mad they didn't get invited. Probably not. 
they don't understand because they are so passionate. They are so passionate. They are so wanting to follow God and observe ritual cleanliness, ritual purity. They don't understand how Jesus could be hanging out with such people because they thought the best way to follow what God had said was to be away, separate. The word Pharisee literally means separate one. So they got their identity from separating from people and being super passionate about following God. But here's the danger. In their passion, they let it drown out their attendance. Jesus says later on in the greatest commandment, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what I want you to think about. As we're living out our lives here at Grand Valley and we are calling each other to be a passionate community and we're trying to follow in the example of Jesus, what kind of Christians do we want to be here? What kind of followers of Jesus do we want to be? And I want to challenge you guys to pursue with so much passion the idea that I want to be connected to other followers of Jesus and I want to be supported and I want to grow in my faith but here's the other thing I want to challenge all of you to do because it's such the hardest thing I see for all of us to do is to leave some room for some people who are far from God there's lots and lots of people on this campus who are at all different places in their journey with God some don't even register on the map some are angry some are disinterested. Some are searching. Some are hurt. Many are following. But do you have room in your life to invest, to pray, to hang out, to be in relationship with, to love on, to do it? And I know as you follow Jesus here at Grand Valley, it's easy to look around and be like, hey, I am passionately going after Jesus and I'm trying to open up my life to the Holy Spirit. And you look around and you see a lot of different people doing a lot of different things and it's easy to get really frustrated. Why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Why are they messing up? Here's what I want you to hear from me. If I could go back in my life to my college years, especially one time when I studied in London, in my junior year, it changed my life. I went to London. I worked as an English business and a uh, business major, as a business major and an English major, and I had an amazing experience there. I got involved with an amazing church called All Souls Church. I, studied, I got to go to church and hear John Stott preach. He's one of the best preachers of the 20th century. And I was just blown in my faith. And I was meeting Christians from another country. And it taught me what it meant to follow Jesus in a different way because it was outside of the West Michigan bubble. <clears throat> Being honest. 
I lived with four guys. And they were there to study about 10% and party in the pub about 90%. And you know what? I lived with them for four or five months. And I just didn't have much business with them. I was passionate about all my God stuff. I was passionate about following Jesus. I was probably very self-righteous, and I didn't have much business for the people who were around me, who I lived with all the time. And if I could go back and change anything about some of my college years at Hope College and and my time in London, I wish I had a bigger vision for people who are around me, who had lots of things going on, had lots of really messy stuff going on, and had lots of messy stuff happening on weekends, and I didn't have patience for it because I was passionately following for God, and I sort of forgot my own need. And I hated the mentality. And here's what I want you to hear, because this is what God's been teaching me again and again and again and again. If I can get that slide to come up. Can you guys go to the slide? Just go forward on the slide for me. Keep going. I'm going to have to skip over some stuff. Here's, what I, here's the cure for that kind of judgmental attitude. I just want you to hear it. This is what, what changes your attitude about not letting your passion drown out your compassion is when I focus and I'm more conscious of the work that God has yet to do in me, the less critical that I am of the work that God has yet to do in you. This is from a sermon I heard from Andy Stanley called Follow. Man, it's rocked my world this week. You know what? When I'm focusing on God and how much more I have to do, how much more God needs to transform parts of my life and become like Jesus, man, it just totally takes my focus off of any of you or anyone else in my life. And I go, man, I've got a long way to go to become more like Jesus, to let his grace invade every area of my life. And I don't have time to worry about being critical of anybody else. So my invitation to you tonight, this is sort of my messy sermon tonight, is that you would never underestimate what God can do with a life, with a person. And for some of you, that's your place. Some of you, it's just with the people around you. Imagine Matthew was called by Jesus. He got up right away and went. And guess what happened? He immediately followed, just like Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He was given a new life, a new status, a new role in God's kingdom, totally taking away all that baggage about being a tax collector. And now he's a new person in Christ. He immediately tried to bring other people in touch with Jesus. He's like, Jesus, you got to meet my tax collector buddies and my sin buddies. Come on to my house. He threw a party for Jesus, and Jesus was just so stoked. I don't think Jesus endorsed everything at the party, but Jesus could handle it there. Did you go to parties? I'm not sure. <laughs> Are you under 21? No. If you're over 21, I'm not sure. I got two articles this week saying lots of different things about how to handle yourself in parties and how to handle yourself in life. But you know what, guys? Every part of your life needs to be affected by this faith in Jesus. And it's not about 
partying one way on the weekend and then coming here and getting forgiven on Sunday. It's about letting a relationship with Jesus invade every part of your life and think about what I'm doing and what does it communicate about this person, Jesus, that I love. And if you're still figuring all this out, I invite you just to start following Jesus. Not on your own energy, but by his power that works within you. Matthew was transformed. And this Matthew guy took the skills that he had as a tax collector, writing stuff down and keeping good records. Guess what book we're reading right now? The Gospel of Matthew. Think the same way. God changed his skills that he used for tax collecting and used them to write one of the most famous books in the country to teach you I want to invite some of you to come up to share a story. And it's a powerful testimony about what God can do with anyone. So will my good friend Allie Hankins come on up? And I'm going to have her come. She's right here. (laughs) Yep, right there. So my name's Allie, for those of you who don't know me. Um, So tonight we've been talking about how Jesus can see you potentially anyone in any situation. And my personal story is actually a really cool testament to that. Um, In high school, I lived a very, very corrupt life. I was extremely promiscuous. I drank excessively. And I lived a very ungodly life. I was raised in a Christian family, though, so I knew that I was making wrong decisions. Um, At the start of my senior year of high school in August, I found out that I was pregnant with twin girls. Um, I was absolutely devastated. I thought that it was the end of my life. Um, That was a consequence that you couldn't just run away from. Like that was something that we just talked about. Some people's sins you can't hide. I mean, a pregnant stomach you just can't hide. Um, But God really used that pregnancy to sort of get my attention. And I was then able to look back at all of my choices I had made and I could realize like, wow, (laughs) I suck. (laughs) Look at all of this garbage I have been feeding myself. And Honestly, that's that's what it took to get my attention, and I'm a very stubborn person, so yeah, it takes something kind of dramatic to get my attention. Um, so yeah, I came to terms with the fact that I was going to be a mom of twins in my senior year of high school. Um, I was kind of like, okay, God, like that was the point that I realized that, okay, maybe I should think about this God thing. So I was like, okay, you know what, I screwed up, and I know that you're supposed to help, so... I'm just going to come to terms with this. Um, so three months later, so now winter break of my senior year of high school, I got married to the father of the twins. He was my boyfriend at the time. He was in the Marine Corps. Uh, three days after the wedding, uh, my pregnancy had some complications, and I ended up losing the twins um, through a stillbirth. And um, that really was, I mm, that was rock bottom. I really 
into it, God. I really, <laughs> I hate saying that now, thinking back about it, but I was so furious at God. I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't understand how something like that happened. But um, it took me a, a few months, but I got to the point where I didn't hate him as much, <laughs> and I realized that he was going to be the only source of healing that I ever received. I realized that he was going to be the only source of love or kindness that I was going to, that was going to help me move on with my life. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's when I finally turned to God. That's when I started to actually spend time with him and to develop my own faith. You know, I had grown up in a Christian household, but it hadn't become my own because I hadn't, I didn't want it to. I didn't care about it. It didn't mean that much to me. And then when you realize you need God, you don't need anything else, but when you realize you need him, you decide to start talking to him. And so I did. And so I had like a nine-month period. I was married um, right after senior year that I really got good time with God, and I developed my own actual genuine relationship with God, and that was unbelievable. That was like my turnaround. That was God poured into me in ways I didn't even know were possible. I mean, I've never learned so much about God in such a short period of time. Um, that was really amazing. So now about nine months after I lost the twins, um, my then husband asked me for a divorce in the name of Jesus, which it's bad, but it's a blessing in disguise. Um, so I moved home with my family, and I was basically able to start from scratch, which was unbelievable because, okay, so here I was. I was 19 years old. I've been pregnant. I've lost the pregnancy. I've been married, and I've been divorced. And now I had a completely fresh start. That does not happen that doesn't happen. I mean, we've all probably had those, like, people that we know about in high school that got pregnant in high school. Those people don't get fresh starts like that. It doesn't happen without God. But thanks to his grace, his unbelievable grace, I had a fresh start. Of all the people that he, that he could have given that to, he gave it to me. He loved me enough to give me a fresh start. I, after that, I applied to Grand Valley, and um, that was a cool story. The day that I got home from California, I was living in California, the day that I got home to move home with my family, um, my acceptance package was in the mail, and I had that letter, and that, to me, that was my, like, brand new start. That was, like, all the chains had been broken, and I had this new, fresh start, and I was so excited. I was, like, squealing and running around the house, and I was sobbing, and I was laughing, and it was very emotional, but it was amazing. But here's the best part. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this. Realistically, none of us deserve any of this. I, I had set myself up for failure, by my own choices, my own doing, my own ignorance of God, I had set myself up for failure. And just like Matthew in the story, he looked at me and he saw potential and he saw a second chance waiting to happen. And I just can't believe where he's brought me. I am so undeserving and I am so grateful to the God who forgives and forgives and forgives and forgives again. And we don't deserve any of it. 
and now my life is just a blessing. So you guys just just know that there's you can't walk. You can't walk away from God far enough to walk away from his forgiveness and his love and his grace. So yeah, I'm sorry. I first heard Allie's story and I met her, she was a new person. I almost didn't believe that. Not because, just because she had been so completely released from that. And I want you to know that wherever you are, Jesus says to you, follow me. Don't fix it all and then follow me. Just follow me. Build a relationship with him. Hang out with him. Read about him in the gospels. Learn about him from your friends. And see what Jesus can do in your new life. So my challenge for you tonight is, from the verse in 2 Corinthians, whether it be, I pray that we would have the eyes of Matthew. It says this, for from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do not so longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Let's just give the Lord a hand. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, there's so much I could have said. pray that each and every person here would hear your invitation to follow you. Not a bunch of rules. But just to be in relationship with you and explore and relearn and follow to be changed by your amazing love and the relationship that you want to have. Thank you for Matt was changed by you and became a completely new man. We pray we'd have the same eyes that people around us have. And then for our own. We pray it in Jesus' name. In the power of his name. Amen. Tonight, um, <clears throat> I'm excited to be able to serve you with communion. And we have not observed communion yet this year, so what we wanted to do is do it in a new way. Partly because